0: I have a lot of hope when I look back at times when people thought progress wasn't possible or societal transformation wasn't possible, and then it was.
1: You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future. Or we like to call it HAT for short, and you, my dear listeners, are our mad hatters. HAT is an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation. Whether you're a planet-conscious parent, groovy grandparent, fab foster carer, terrific teacher, awesome auntie,
2: or any other member of the extended family. We're having conversations with leading doers, thinkers, and shakers in climate action that will inspire you to stay optimistic, feel part of an ever-growing movement, and take actions that fit into your busy lives. Just like you, we
1: want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. So, who are we? I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent,
2: and co-host of this podcast. I'm the one providing the Aussie accent. And I'm Helen Hill, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. The one with a very exotic British Bolton accent.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Megan Fraser, a leadership coach for climate entrepreneurs, a founding member of Climate Change Coaches, and mum to a little boy. She believes that two of the most powerful words in any language are what if? She believes the stories we tell ourselves about what's possible in ourselves, in our communities, and across our planet have enormous impact and should be chosen carefully rather than accepted unthinkingly. She spends her days coaching climate entrepreneurs and founders and training others on how to use coaching skills to build agency in the climate crisis. She lives in Edinburgh with her family. This episode is supported by climate change coaches, which sparks possibility about climate change and equips people to lead and inspire action that changes systems. Check out the show notes for this episode to learn more, including a new book they've just released. In this conversation, we'll talk about how we can use coaching skills, even as non-coaches, to help us process difficult emotions about climate anxiety, build agency, and keep us all on the pitch long-term. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thanks. It's good to be here. Wonderful to have you. And I think something that really resonated with me reading your bio is the way that it talks about your beliefs. And so, can you talk us a bit through how important our beliefs actually are?
0: That's such a good question. I mean, if you think about the world, very little about the world is just pure fact. We interlay our beliefs all over it all the time. And beliefs are really critical to how we see ourselves, how we see other people, and what we make up as true. And they're crucially important for that reason. And we very rarely pick them apart and see them as beliefs. We just accept them as truths. And when it comes to climate change, we want to pay attention to our beliefs because they're really contagious. So we can create collective stories or narratives too. And some stories will service and others don't. So take a really simple example. Let's say that I want to run a marathon and I have this whole training goal for myself. I've got this whole plan I've set out. If it's raining, and I get to the front door and oh, I'm trying to put my shoes on. And I think, actually, I'm just not cut out to be a runner. I'm far less likely to actually go and run my 10 miles that day. than if I believe that I'm capable of learning new things, I'm capable of rising to challenges. And then again, just a really simple example of the systemic or well, the collective narrative. Imagine that I've got a running partner who shows up and she's like, you know what? We're just not, we're just not meant to do this. Uh, we're not runners. We never should have believed that we were that would have a dramatically different effect than if this person shows up and she's committed to seeing it through no matter what weather. So we need to be really conscious of the the beliefs that we are cultivating and that we're choosing because we're always choosing them, even if it's unconscious. So yeah, I'm just really passionate about unpacking all these different layers uh, of narratives and beliefs and stories in our lives. And I think it's uh, absolutely fundamental to uh, effective leadership. You know, in in the future we choose, the book by Christiana Figueres and Tom Rivet karnak they talk a lot about the, the Paris Climate Agreement, which they helped to broker. And they talk about how a key part of their leadership was actually in bringing about the conditions for people to believe that agreement was possible. That was the key part of their role. And if people didn't believe it was possible to reach an international agreement, it would never have been achievable. So it's a core part of what I think climate leadership needs to be.
1: I 100% agree with you and I was nodding along as you were speaking that Mm. whole time because I think Helen and I talk a lot about, you know, needing to really have that optimism and really trying to build that hope and and tell ourselves those stories about what can be possible and what the future could be. And it's really interesting about Christina Figueres and how she references stubborn optimism and always needing to come back to that and how that was so pivotal in making this agreement happen at a a global level and I think one thing I come back to there's a quote from one of the editors of the compilation all we can save and it goes no leadership movement ever succeeded by thinking it was going to fail and so (laughs) you know and and, and, and isn't that just yeah and you just think you you do just have to believe and just really visualize I guess and, and and see what that future could be don't you?
0: Yeah. And it's funny because often I find in the coaching work that I do and that we do at climate change coaches, a lot of the stories we end up telling ourselves are binary. And we think it's either hope or it's despair or it's either success or it's failure. And so I think a lot of the work we need to do, especially around climate change and big systemic issues, is that we need to make space for the both and. You probably know Joanna Macy and the three stories of our time from the work that we connect. I find that a hugely helpful paradigm for how we how we think of ourselves and our place in the era that we are in right now. You could just talk
1: through those three paradigms for people that haven't yeah. uh, come across that work about active hope.
0: Yeah, so Joanna Macy, the eco philosopher, has these three, as she calls them, stories of our time. And she says that we're always inhabiting one of these stories, but we're just not aware of it. And the first story is business as usual, which is hmm, climate is is out there it's real but it's quite abstract and far away and nothing really needs to change we can just keep on doing the same thing and then the second story is the great unraveling and this is often what we start to inhabit when we start to see how bad things really are and we start to see these ecosystems collapsing and we we read these reports that just fill us with dread and grief and anxiety and we're we're It can feel agonizing to be inhabiting the great unraveling and watching business as usual at the same time. This often is just, oh, it's agonizing um, dichotomy between what your perceived reality is and what governments or businesses are doing. And then there's this third story, which is The Great Turning. And she says, look back at human history so far. Uh, We've had the agricultural revolution, which took centuries. And then we had the industrial revolution, which took decades. And now we're on the cusp of what we might call the environmental revolution, which has to take just a few years. And what if we're at the beginning of this great turning, of turning humanity back to the earth in a way that is healing, in a way that is just, in a way that is sustainable? All of these stories are equally true. There's space for all of them. So it's not about sticking our fingers in our ears and trying to block out the bad news. It's about embracing a story that is much more likely to serve us, to unlock creativity, to unlock innovation, to unlock collaboration um, than some of the other stories that we tell ourselves.
2: I love that. And I've actually not heard of that before, but I can say that's applicable, certainly in terms of, you know, my own climate journey of of the progression I've taken. One thing we wanted to ask you about was what brought you to this work? What was your climate moment that's led you to where you are now? My aha moment, I think, was really in 2010
0: when I was doing a master's in Canada, and I took a course as part of this master's involved experiential learning in the sea. So we went out in this rowing boat for 10 days without any electricity or power or technology. And we just had to row ourselves between these islands off the coast of Vancouver. And then we camped and we spent 24 hours in solitude as well. And we read all about our relationship to the earth. And I read the book Earth, E-A-A-R-T-H by Bill McKibben. And it was incredibly confronting. I think until then I had thought well, climate change is a thing. Uh, the world wouldn't have to change much because scientists will just replace uh, fossil fuels with renewables that we can just keep going on as normal. And when I read his book, it just made me realize we can't just keep on growing at the same pace that we are because it's, it's literally unsustainable, which feels like such an obvious thing to say from my perspective now, but at the time it was really uh, eye-opening. And that began to plant the seeds for thinking, what else has to shift? What other questions do we have to be asking ourselves uh, to be living in a way that's actually sustainable long term? So I became a coach in 2017, and then I began working in climate change in 2018, uh, when I became a coach for a part of the EU called Climate Kick, which is the biggest, is their, their climate innovation body. And I was a coach for the biggest climate innovation summer school in the world. But it was all very organic. And so I began working in this just because I thought it was really interesting. I never thought I'm going to become a climate change coach. And then later I became a founding member of Climate Change Coaches. And we exist to help individuals and organizations unlock a sense of agency around climate change. And so integrating my talents and career with, with the climate has actually been really organic. And in the last couple of years, I've taken the step to actually focus much more specifically on climate leaders and entrepreneurs, because I so it it's where I'd have the most impact given my own skill set and the kind of people that I work really well with. So it's been it's been quite organic, I'd say, with various uh, awakenings along the way of different sizes.
1: It does often seem like that with people that there are various moments which ingrain you more and more into this space and this type of work. I think it's such a a big awareness shift, particularly to business as usual, that I think it can, you know, it could really take quite a few different um you know moments and things happening that that delve you deeper and deeper into the space. but I guess something I've heard you talk about as well is keeping your climate grief at arm's length prior to the birth of your son, but how becoming a mother collapsed that divide for you. Is it possible to talk us through you know how becoming a parent changed you around this and how you navigate that climate grief
0: as a parent? Yeah, that's a huge topic, and it's funny because I was teaching other coaches on climate grief and anxiety through tri- two climate change coaches. I was part of the teaching team in our program. So I was immersed in it intellectually, but I somehow somehow managed to, to keep it quite intellectualized. And then I had my son in 2020. Right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I found it a really double edged sword because on the one hand, it's completely lit a fire under my belly to throw myself into this work. It's only with his birth that I've begun getting much more involved in climate advocacy outside my career, you know, as a citizen, as a volunteer, my personal life. And on the other hand, it has meant I've needed to really look after myself, as I find myself much more easily triggered. My skin is so much thinner. I'm a HSP, which stands for a highly sensitive person, and this is a really, um, really interesting uh, concept to know about. Uh, if you're involved with climate, because one in five of us are actually highly sensitive people. And it, basically, it means our nervous system is wired a little bit differently to other people's. And so it means we have a very highly developed sense of intuition. You know, we'll often be able to sense somebody's emotions very readily or read a room very quickly. We'll have a very deep appreciation for beauty and art and music. And we're very deep thinkers and all of this stuff. But on the other hand, we have a very thin veil between ourselves and the world. And so if we hear things on the news that are violent or hugely disturbing, it's very difficult to be able to navigate that in a way that feels sustainable. So I actually work with lots of HSPs. I find that quite a few people in climate tend to come from this kind of wiring. It's very similar to being an empath. So being a parent has made that veil between me and the world even more porous. There's an incredible body of work called Project Inside Out which talks about how to how to engage people from the psychological perspective of climate change. And she talks about the need to become guides. And she has one sentence on her website. This is uh, the Project Inside Out website, uh, Rennie Lertzman, that says, your love for the world is a superpower. And I've actually got that written down next to my desk because whenever it feels as though the pain is too great, I remind myself, actually, this is a complete superpower that I care this much. And that i'm awake and i'm letting my heart break open rather than um break into pieces and so I, I had to really take a step back and think what do i need to help me to navigate through this when i'm going through um, a wave of grief so i how how i handle it how i navigate it as a parent um i found some h- ways that do help me so first of all i acknowledge that i'm feeling it and i try and have compassion for myself It's so easy, as I said, to just disengage from it because it feels so real. The problem is that then we just lash out in anger and blame. We make other people wrong. We make ourselves wrong. There's a lot of shame and judgment. Anger has a real place in response to climate inaction. And as the both and, we often need support to navigate it skillfully. So for me, finding external support has been invaluable. So I work with a coach. Um, As a coach myself, I find that really important. Um, I have found an incredible counsellor through the Climate Psychology Alliance. And so she's teaching me that because of how I'm wired as an HSP, I'll always feel everything deeply. I can't switch that part of me off, but I can learn ways to go in and out of it more quickly. And one way of doing that is accessing the body. So I find a really effective but simple way, if I'm lying in bed just thinking about something that's breaking my heart, actually putting a hand on my heart, I've got my hand on my heart right now, helps me to honor the pain without going round and round in my head about it. So actually dropping down from my head into my heart feels like a very helpful thing to do. And then just soothing myself um, with my hands or holding myself and allowing myself to, to grieve and allowing myself to feel all of this stuff. And then I've, I completed some group work with the work that reconnects, which again comes from the work of Joanna Macy and Active Hope, this eco-philosopher. And the work that reconnects has been life transforming for me, being able to share my grief with other people rather than isolate and withdraw into myself. And then the structure that they have involves honoring your pain for the world. Um, And I find this word of honoring so powerful. It's not like tamping down your pain for the world or trying to run from your pain for the world or on the other side being so consumed by your pain that there's nothing else. Like how can I honor it? How can I honor it and remain compassionate and open? And it's this, I think it's a lifelong practice. It's a spiritual discipline.
2: Yeah, I, I totally get it. I mean, I'm nodding like crazy here because I think, I mean, I'm in the middle of reading the uh, highly sensitive person, the book by Elaine Aron. Totally get all that and the level of empathy and that idea of honouring your pain and, and you, like you said, the physical actions is something that resonates really significantly with me. I mean, I'm loving this whole perspective and wholeheartedly agree that we can all make ways of change and, and this idea of keeping your heart open to the world is, is a beautiful idea, actually. But how can we use coaching skills to build our agency in the climate crisis then along with all these actions that you're talking about?
0: So the key to coaching or at least the kind of coaching that I'm trained in and that we're trained in as a team at Climate Change Coaches is all around bringing together the perspective of the being and the doing. So, There's a lot of emphasis in the modern world and especially in the climate movement on doing which of course is really important actions Actions drive things forward, actions create change. And many of us know that if we just focus on the doing and just forget all about the being, we're gonna end up burning out, which was me at the end of last year. And so coaching skills really help us to connect and to tap into the being. So when we are connected with that side of who we are as people, um, we're much more able to stay Again, stay engaged for the long-term, stay engaged in a sustainable way. So how do we do this? Well, on the one hand, this might mean connecting with our own sense of purpose, our own sense of meaning, our deep values, the things that are our intrinsic drivers. These are much more powerful long-term than any extrinsic motivators. So if we can really identify what those are for us and then work out ways to honor those in our actions, it's hugely powerful. And on the other hand, it might mean owning that we're grieving rather than pushing it away and trying to, quote unquote, stay positive. So what happens when we're feeling existential fear or threat or grief is that we tend to retreat into ourselves and stay away from others. Or we disassociate into anger and we get really blamey about the government or about the system or people. And I notice that I can get really complainy about this and that and these people not doing enough. And coaching helps us to skillfully be with the emotions that we're trying to avoid by lashing out at other people. And again, I'm not saying there's not a place for anger. I I have a lot of anger at a lot of people in power who aren't doing enough. And I know that I need to be able to work skillfully with those emotions um, so that I can connect better. Because it's really connection that's going to create this systemic change. And so you know, if we drill this down into a coaching approach, With non coaches, you might be you going, you know, talking to another parent at the school gates and just listening to how they're feeling about climate change, not changing the subject. Uh, Recognize what they're feeling and allow that to come out. So maybe it's asking questions that go to the person's feelings and not the topic. You know, something like, "Hmm, what's it like to feel this way? Um, Or what do you make about that? Or what matters to you about that? instead of, oh yeah, the government crap, aren't they? You know, it's it's a different, it helps that person deepen into what's really going on for them and what's at stake for them. Cause when we're not skillful with our emotions, we then end up creating isolation. We end up creating blame and separateness and otherness. And this isolation doesn't create systems change. We need that connection to create that systems change that will ultimately make the difference when it comes to climate change.
1: And there's so much power in community, isn't there? And finding others who, you know, do care and you can find reasons why perhaps, you know, there's similarities in what's brought you to the space or things that you care about with why they want to make change happen too. So I think that makes a huge amount of sense around really focusing on that active listening and, and, and the connection point. So I guess to lead on from that, what gives you hope then for this future that we are trying to create for this next generation?
0: Ah, oh, what gives me hope for the future? I have a lot of hope when I look back at times when people thought progress wasn't possible or societal transformation wasn't possible and then it was. And I think it's so easy from this perspective in history to look back at emancipation or the votes for women or civil rights movement and to think, well, of course that was a done deal. But when those people were in the thick of it, they had no idea, they had no idea what was possible. This isn't the first time that we're trying to create massive systemic change. It's the first time at this scale this, this change is required, but it's not the first time as humans we've had to rise to this kind of challenge. And we've done it in the past, and we have a huge amount of lessons to learn And we're also so much more again connected you know social media the internet can create huge pockets of isolation and you know we're seeing a lot of the challenges of social media and trust and truth Um, and it can also help to really galvanize movements Um, and then i i hear stories of individuals taking action without knowing what the consequence would be. And I'm so inspired by every single person that steps up to make a difference. I think we're much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for.
1: Absolutely. And I think to lead on from what you're saying around, you know, seeing what humanity has done and achieved in the past in the face of extreme adversity, there's a quote from Nelson Mandela that I absolutely love, and it's that it always seems impossible until it's done. And it's so easy, like exactly what you're saying, to look back and just think, oh, of course, those things happened. So so it comes back a full circle to what we are saying at the start around beliefs and needing to believe that this really will happen and we will make this happen. And I guess from that, what would you like the future to look like? You know, I know you've referenced in your bio around you love that question of what if. So what is the big what if for you around what it could look like in the future?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I go back to stories, you know, what if this is indeed the great turning? Like, what if this is indeed the great turning? And what if it can be joyful as well? I've been thinking so much about joy and the role of joy in climate action and seeking out joy and making space for joy as a way to keep ourselves engaged and nurtured and connected. Yeah. What if there's room for joy? What what might that look like in the future? What if it's the great turning?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and that joy and the positivity and the fun is just something that, you know, we believe in wholeheartedly. And it's much more likely to make us take action than, you know, paralyzing fear. But leading on from that, what would you say to our world leaders? If you had two minutes in a room with them, what would you like to say?
0: I'd like to tell a story, actually, in response to that question and it's the story of Christiane Figueres who I mentioned earlier, one of the chief architects of the Paris Climate Agreement, and I recently heard her tell of what she experienced in the run-up to Paris, and she had just been betrayed by her husband of 25 years, It happened a couple of years before Paris, and she was feeling genuinely suicidal, you know, she would not be able to travel on trains because she was so worried about throwing herself onto the tracks. And she discovered Buddhism kind of as a as a creed occur, as a lifeline. And it was through this exposure to, to Buddhism and different ways of thinking that she realized the connection between her inner world and the outer world. And when she was talking about, you know, these huge negotiations, um, They were really divided into the countries from the global north and the global south and the global south often felt extremely victimized and angry at the global north for putting them in this situation so again there's a real place for anger here but she knew that if they stayed in that mentality of victim and perpetrator it would be very difficult to actually hear each other and hear what was important to them about the world that they created in the future and then her experience in this, um, this Buddhist center, this Buddhist um, monastery, awakened her to the fact that she wasn't going to be able to lead these people out of their own victimhood or out of that mindset of victimhood unless she learned to step out of her victimhood in her personal life. And so that struck me immensely, because it's so easy to feel really. <laughs> Rigid in the positions we end up being in in, the, in our personal lives and professional lives. But what I would say to these world leaders, based on Christiana's story, is do your inner work, you know, deepen your being, deepen your spiritual practice, work with a therapist, get a coach, do what you need to do to navigate the stuff in your own life that's not allowing you to navigate your threat response or your fear response with these huge systemic issues because everything's interlinked. So if you can show up. To decision making from a place of taking full responsibility for your impact across your whole of your life whole of your leadership imagine how you're going to be different like imagine every single world leader had an incredible support team of coaches um therapists uh, group work imagine that all that inner work was supported in an extremely effective way what would they bring to the table in terms of their leadership and that's not you know me trying to push, coaches as a profession it's me pushing support and the awareness that the inner and the outer world are so linked.
1: That story is so powerful Megan thank you so much for sharing Mm. and I think you've just made me think about coaching and mindset work and all those things in quite a completely different way so that's absolutely fascinating.
0: I found it so powerful when I heard that story because she is one of my heroes And she was so vulnerable and so deep on this podcast it was in the podcast the way out is in that she told the story yeah really impacted me
1: very impactful i've never heard that story before either and she's one of my heroes too i'll definitely listen to it gosh Okay, so one last question for you. (laughs) I'm not sure we can top that. So (laughs) what would you like to tell guardians of the next generation? So whether they might be parents or they might have young kids in their life through being a teacher or through family, grandparents, whatever it might be, what would you like to say to those people who are truly caring for that next generation?
0: Two things come to mind. One is allow yourself to pursue joy in climate action because if we're really joyful in what we choose to engage with and take on, it's so enrolling to other people. You know, they'll say, look what this person's doing. Look what Megan's doing. She's She seems to be really getting so much out of this. I wanna be part of that. So again, back to that kind of collective or systemic change, uh, it's so enrolling to see somebody um, engage with a deep purpose, even if it's challenging and it's stretching. So allow yourself to seek that out and how you want to be a part of this. And the other piece would be keep the faith. You know, the reality of systems change is that it's not linear. There are tipping points and intervention points and we can't always see when those are happening. If you think about water, when it becomes ice, it's liquid right up until the time that suddenly it freezes. And so we have no idea about the changes that we're having uh, right now in our lives. And we're far more powerful than we give ourselves. Uh, credit for
1: well I think you actually managed to top your answer so well done because <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, this is again something that Helen and I talk about a lot just around bringing the fun and yeah. and the humor or whatever it might be in finding those those happy joyful moments in this because otherwise I think it can just pull you down into that that spiral can't it and it's absolutely critical and I, I just love that whole notion of finding the joy so thank mm. you so much for your time Megan I really appreciate <laughs> what pleasure. you shared and a lot of a lot of really different perspectives which I think will help a lot of people
0: it's been my pleasure thank you for having
2: me on thanks so much for joining us your initiation into the Hatter tribe is now complete we really hope this episode inspired you and that you're coming back for more
1: If it did, please review, subscribe, and share this episode with a curious, climate-conscious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. And there's lots more where that came from. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our fabulous guest. And if you just can't get enough of us and manage to grab another few minutes' peace in your day, do come hang out with us on social channels, where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety and gloom into fun and playful action.
2: And not forgetting you can regularly see us making a fool of ourselves on reels. Together, we can hope, act, thrive.